Hi, this is Josh McKinney, and I just want to welcome you to episode 33 of the I Suck at Jiu-Jitsu show. Today, I have a special Friday release. I know, three podcasts in the same week. Well, during the pandemic, we have been going crazy filming podcasts, recording podcasts, actually filming. Filming is the right word. I always confuse it when we just release audio, but I have been releasing video too on YouTube recently, so you guys can check that out at, I actually don't have a YouTube handle yet. You have to have a certain amount of subscribers, so just go to my Facebook, click on my YouTube links that I post, and then subscribe because you support the podcast that is absolutely free to you, and you love me so much. Or you love my guests so much. So, today's guests, today's guest is somebody that I have known since I was a brand new white belt. I still remember uh, Andy coming in. I think he was a purple belt, um, and he was probably the second purple belt that I had ever seen. And that's including my coach. And I remember him coming in and training and just having fun. I was like 14 years old. It was just a really cool, you know, experience to, to get to see a purple belt at the time. But over the years, I've gotten to know Andy a lot better. And I can tell you, you know, I've had a lot of people on the podcast. I've met tons of people through jujitsu. Very seldom will you ever meet someone with as intense of a passion for jujitsu as Andy. Andy has been a black belt for a long time, and I watch him when we're at seminars and people are teaching and just how into it he is and how much he loves jujitsu. And uh, it's obviously just so much fun to be around somebody like that. And that shines through in this episode, I believe. And so uh, without further ado, check out this episode. I really think you guys are going to like it. Starting right now, and there's our reset. Go ahead and talk just for a little bit. Hello, hello, hello. You sound beautiful. You sound beautiful. All right. Andy, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing great, man. Thank you, Josh. Good, man. I'm glad to have you on. I always love to talk to people um, about jujitsu, but something specific. I was actually talking on uh, the phone to my dad this morning and something specific that always comes in mind, um, comes to mind with you when talking jujitsu, when at a seminar, anything like that is passion. You are so passionate for jujitsu. And so that's why I was really excited to do this conversation because uh, you you don't, I meet a lot of people that love jujitsu, but I don't know if I've met many people that have the same fire, that same love for jujitsu that you do. And you've had it for a very long time. So I just kind of wanted to start out at the beginning with you, um, you know, and just kind of get some of your start, you know, of how you started jujitsu and what that looked like for you when you started. Absolutely, man. I kind of feel like the beginning of Titanic, the old lady saying it's been 70 years. <laughs> wow, it's, it was a long time, man. It kind of all, you know, it was in 1991, I believe. Uh, I was I, I was in high school. I lived in, I grew up in central Illinois, a little town called Paris, Illinois. Mm-hmm. And I had a summertime job for the city of water, the water and sewer department for the city of Paris. And there was an older guy that is a family friend. We knew him real well. And he was an active martial artist, you know, in himself. He was a nationally ranked Taekwondo guy and and uh, I worked with him. His name was Alex Lawson. Uh, I kind of owe everything to him. And we were, I remember, because we were high school. I was in high school. He was a little older. But what they would do, the employers would send you out in the country, tell you to go paint a bridge or something just to keep you out of sight. So we were done painting a bridge. And he uh, started teaching me a drill from Jeet Kune Do, or it's actually the Filipino martial arts called Hubud. It's an energy drill. So I was always into sports, athletics, and whatnot, and and I was just hooked. I was like, wow, this is awesome. So he invited me to start training with his crew. And this, they didn't have a place. Uh, They had a garage at one of his friend's places where they would go train. So I did that for about 
a year just doing the striking stuff. So it was more for people who don't know the Jeet Kune Do, it's, it's the original mixed martial art. I mean, that's the, you know, they blend everything, the kicking, punching, trapping, the grappling, and they even do weapons. So mm-hmm. after about a year or so training, this would have been, I remember it was in the winter time. I can't remember if it was 92 or 93. Uh, I don't know the guy's real name, but his name, we called him Ziggy. He went to Chicago and did a Hicks and Gracie seminar. So he came back, because how, that's how it kind of worked. Like uh, some of those senior guys would go out and train with other people, and then they would come back and, uh, you know, share it with all of us. And, and, you know, on a side note of that as well, Alex was actually at that time a training partner with Jack McVicker. Okay. So, you know, kind of that's where, you know, I had my connection getting into him later. But so Ziggy came back from the seminar, and I remember – because it was cold outside, we weren't even able to go, because we had space heaters where we had trained in this garage, but it's so cold, we had to move it inside. So we went into his house, and I remember, and you know, this was like a college-age kid, so we moved his dining room table out, and it was an area rug. So we got down, and he started showing uh, arm bar from the mountain, and you know, doing the shift of the hip and everything. I was like, you know, I was in high school, you got to remember that, and I was like, I didn't like it. So I was like, man, this stuff isn't for me. I was uh-huh. like, I, cause you know, I'm in high school. I want to I want to stand up and box <laughs> and I want to knife fight. I want to, you know, do all that. So I didn't really enjoy it. So a few, let's see. So this would have been around 94. I actually moved is my summer before going into my senior year of high school. And we moved down here to Carbondale where I currently live. So I kept the connection with Alex to keep training. He, uh, kind of was slowing down a little bit. He had some kids at the time and, you know, a full-time job. So he started losing his fire, but he could see, you know, how much I had in it. So he, you know, kind of pushed me on to some other people and gave me some names. But at the time, you know, I was in my senior year. So I kind of took a, a break from martial arts for a little bit because, you know, I wanted to meet new friends. I had to, you know, adjust to being in a new town, you know, my senior year, leaving a girlfriend, all sorts of stuff. So, I stopped training and then I got the interest again my summer going into college uh, before the fall. I think it was, God, I want to say 95. And there was no one, you know, you got to remember, Josh, at that time, nobody there, nobody knew the name Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. You know, nobody really knew Jeet Kune Do. And, you know, the thing which I, what makes me mad now, because at that time, back in the early 90s, when I first learned it, you know, a lot of the people I was training with, they were had training with the Gracies since the 80s already. It just wasn't, you know, that was during the time, you know, when all the Gracie in action and stuff was coming out when they were trying to build their name. And I just, you know, I missed it, but it is what it is. So I, so I started uh, taking Kung Fu. <laughs> and a lot of people don't know this. I actually earned... Uh, black sash, which called a sheet eye, and white tiger kung fu. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> so you 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 saw jujitsu and you said, you know what, I'm gonna take the opposite <laughs> route here, and I'm gonna go kung fu. That's where it gets quite funny, because yes, I I mean I was just into the stand. I liked the movement and the you know the being able just to do the stuff with your hands and and you know I just did jujitsu had not struck me yet, mm-hmm. so I. I was doing the Kung Fu real hard around that time. You know, I, I think I, I mean, I was going every day because uh, the instructor at the time, his name was Marty Davis. And he would actually invite me out to because he saw the fire that I had of wanting to learn. So I got a lot of private sessions in with him. And, and I would go back because Alex Lawson, my first instructor, still wanted to train a little bit. So I'd go back and every now and again and show him some of that stuff. And he would always push me, like, dude, you got to do jiu-jitsu and I even remember one day because uh, he had three little kids he brought me into his house and he told the kids to go in the other room he said dude I got to show you something and he popped in the first UFC when Hoyce you know just mopped uh-huh. through everyone he's like Andy and I remember him looking at me even pointed his finger he said you mark my word he said in the next five years this art is going to blow up and everybody is going to be doing it you know and I was like You know, I'm like, I'm a height. You got to remember, I'm young still. (laughs) Uh Not buying it. So I came back and I met up with some uh, when I was in college. uh, We trained at the SIU, the rec center. Mm -hmm. And 
there was a club there. His name was Matt Leggins. Uh, it's a, it was a registered student organization called the Green Dragon Martial Arts Club. And they were Kung Fu guys. You know, they did uh-huh. fight and very talented, you know, very talented. And they were kind of at the tail end of running it and tired of running it because there's things you got to do when you're running a registered student organization through the university. So they handed it over to me. Uh, so I, I took charge of it. I trained with them every now and again. So I started orienting more of the instruction to boxing mm-hmm. and Muay Thai and some of the Jeet Kune Do. And then this is where it kind of all started of the blow up uh, in, in this area, at least of the mixed martial arts style training, you could say, because uh-huh. I was in their training one day and a guy named Eric Mock, uh, he had just got out of the army. He was walking by because at the where we would train in the rec center in the martial arts room had a huge window so people could look in, kind of see what you're doing. And he walked in, he said, Hey, what 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 is this stuff you're doing? You know, and I told him, you know, Western boxing and you know, a mix. He says, Oh, I've got some boxing experience and I've done some ground fighting. And I was like, Oh, really? You know, because I was kind of a you know, I thought I had done some because I learned an arm bar on an area room. <laughs> so we we rolled and he literally kicked the crap out of me. Uh-huh. I mean, he was pat. You got to remember at that time, I mean, he was cha- like, I knew how to do an armbar. Uh-huh. I didn't know how to get there. I didn't know how to transition into it, but I would know the movement. This kid was transitioning, mm-hmm. you know, passing the guard, sweeping you, choking. You. I was like, damn. So I said, but I said, we need, we got something here, man. I was like, what we need to do is you need to run this club with me. Uh, so he was all bored. He's like, let's do this, man. So that's when, and we hit what the funny thing was is we kept the name Green Dragon Martial Arts Club. So <laughs> that's what we ran it for a while. And then that's kind of how the seed was planted for this area of, of getting it. But back then, you know, you got to remember it's called No Holds Barred, you know, NHB. Oh, yeah. That's what, you know, so it was still, but I mean, people would walk by that window and see us training. I remember we just tell them we we're boxing and wrestling because if you told them, you know, jiu-jitsu or jikudo they would think you're doing like a karate or whatever they yeah. don't have anything to differentiate so <laughs> and, and so that is kind of where you started you kind of start um almost in an instructor role per se just because you're running this club um what what did jiu-jitsu what did starting to progress and focus on jiu-jitsu look like for you um after college Man, you know, it, it after college, because at the time I graduated college in 99. And during that time when Eric and I were running, several people had come in. Like that's the time when I met, uh, you know, Chris Lund had come down. Who's uh-huh. a, he's a black belt up in Chicago. He had transferred from University of Hawaii at Manoa. And I think he came in around, I want to say 97, 98. And he was a blue belt under Helson Gracie. So at that time, it's like, big and then that's when you know we because what i did just before getting out of college we had brought jack mcvicker down for a seminar Mm -hmm. uh it was actually i think it to this day it was his first seminar he had ever done you know he hadn't really because he was a purple belt at the time and when he came he kind of taught us a way to you know i guess uh, i say properly train Uh so that's when it was after that seminar because he even told me he's like dude you got to focus you got to focus on your jujitsu, you know, cause I, I was very well in my versed in my striking, but I just was lagging in the jujitsu and it was from meeting him. Uh, that's when I hooked up with Jack. So after college is where I, I ended up getting a job. Uh, I was actually a correctional officer in a prison, uh, for about a year, year and a half. And during that time I was traveling from here in Carbondale to Terre Haute, Indiana. And what I do, I'd always go up on a Thursday because I do Jack's group class Thursday night. And then I do a private session Friday morning before I drove home. That was like a weekly thing. So that's how, you know, I didn't have any, you know, here there was no instructor, you know, at my door. I had to go, you know, I had to travel, man. I mean, and it just wasn't around. And I knew there was something here, like this stuff's special, you know. And, and there is something beautiful about that. Like, obviously, it's great now that, you know, my students can train probably within 45 minutes from their house. They could train at six, seven different gyms um, that are all probably all have black belt coaches, too. 
And I think that that's a, a really interesting thing that it just, it wasn't like that anymore. It wasn't like that, um, or it wasn't like that back then. It was, you know, if you were near a gym that you were super lucky, you know, but most people were seeking out. I remember even in 2008, Kyle had people that would drive um, like two hours to the hit squad to to train jujitsu, and they would train one class and then drive home. Oh. And uh, yeah, and you don't, you don't, you know, and I think, I think we all do it. All of us coaches now all love to explain how spoiled um, our students are now, you know, because they have real mats to train on, you know, that are made for jujitsu. And uh, it's, it's it, it, you hit it on the head, man, because. That's like, like my, like I say, it was in a garage with a dang space heater, you know, where I started my first ground lesson was on an area rug. And that's why, you know, all the students always laugh at me now at the end of, you know, cause Mike, you've been to my academy several times. It's smaller, but it's clean. And to me, it's very special. You know, it's mm-hmm. maybe about a thousand square feet of mat space, but they always laugh at me because they're always, Hey, do you need help cleaning? And I was like, no, cause that's my time at the end of each night. I love vacuuming my school. I love mopping the mats. I just, I take pride in that because, you know, they don't see where I came from, you Uh know, where, you know, to get to go to a seminar, I would have to drive, you know, six hours to Chicago or, Uh or I'd have to have, you know, try to con Jack in to coming down. And, you know, now these guys, they've had, you know, Bernardo Faria here, Lucas Lecce. I mean, there's, it's like, they don't know (laughs) what they're getting, Uh but. Man, that is that's really interesting. So, like as you know, I just moved my academy maybe three or four months ago, probably three months ago, and um, we just opened up our new space, and it's it is much bigger, it's much nicer. But I went; it was like three days ago. I went back to the old gym for the first time because there were a few things I needed to pick up, and I walked in, and it was empty, and literally, I almost cried. And I'm like, I, I, I can't, I can't, no, don't do that. I, you know, be toughen up. You're, you know, you, it's good. It's good that we're moving to a newer location, but man, you know, we will never, you know, we'll never be able to go back to that 600 square feet of mats, one bathroom, a closet where everyone would change. And we would have 30 people on 600 square feet and we'll never be able to go back to that. You know what I mean? And, uh, it was, uh. It, it's really even just talking about it now it's just this really weird thing of like you know that's where we that's where my gym started actually i started running a gym and teaching out of my garage um and that was a lot to leave and then when we moved to our new lo- or first location you know that was a lot to leave and it's just weird how you get connected to these places they become so special to you oh yeah yeah that's i mean and and I was the same way because all those years until, you know, because I think I got my first actual like place that we called our own was in about 2010. But in between all that time, I would, you know, I kind of called myself the traveling Wilbur because I'd try to teach out of a fitness center. I'd teach out of a, I've been at a gymnastics center. I've been, at, I even taught, used to teach out of a women's fitness center, you know, anywhere where I could get like 100 to 150 bucks you know, overhead rent for the space. Uh-huh. That's where I teach, you know, uh-huh. but, but we loved it. I mean, the people, you know, I always have our smaller groups. You know, I think the biggest I had at that time was maybe 20 people. Uh, but we were all so dedicated because, you know, and I think we're all young. We, we appreciated what we have. We knew it was advanced, you know, for the time, so to speak for, you know, the trend. Cause I even, you know, just kind of a backtrack on it when, you know, with that Eric mock guy I was telling about, I remember, you know, our first, <laughs> we went to an MMA, well, it was called NHB back then, but it was a, it was in a high school, I think in Royalton, Illinois. It's a town, literally maybe 300 people around here. It was in a gym. And what it was, was a Taekwondo school, put it on. And we brought him in because we we're like, Eric, we're going to have you do it. Cause he could box, he could grapple. And he ended up fighting, uh, one of the, his name was, uh, he was a Taekwondo guy. I think he's since passed away, but his name was Emil Wright. And he's one of those, you know, older school guys considered one of the most, you know, Taekwondo magazine, put him as the deadliest man alive or something. <laughs> and Eric fought one of his students. And in the ring, I'm telling you, Josh, it was mats laid on the ground and you had around the ring was, uh, like movie theater rope lines. <laughs> that was the ring. 
And I That's remember when awesome. I was cornering Eric, I was sitting on the bench with the fans, you know, yelling out and stuff. And Eric beat this guy, I think, in probably 30 to 45 seconds, just snapped on a guillotine from him right when it hit, you know, went, uh -huh. went to the ground. But it just that's when our name, you know, kind of got out uh, mm -hmm. when people started, you know, coming down. Cause like Vince Fields used to train at our club. Uh, he's a pretty big name now. We've had several guys who are black belts now. Like uh, Alex Miller was down here and Nanad Dragulovich, uh, Heath Pedigo and his brother used to come down in the late nineties and train with us. Cause we were the spot. You know, uh -huh. doing that's, it. And that's really, it's really interesting when you have, an academy, I, I assume, obviously, I haven't had mine long enough to really um, get a lot of those, but it's really cool when you are the academy that got the start for certain people. Like, um, I just promoted my first, technically, I, Kyle promoted him, but, you know, he trains at my gym, but I promoted my first black belt, Justin Huff, and he started with you. Yeah. Um, and I so... Justin is. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah, yeah. and he is, uh, he is... Um, we actually don't even call him. If if my students are listening, they probably don't even recognize Justin Huff. We actually now call him the Moon Wolf because he got a new tattoo on his shoulder, and it's of a wolf with the moon on his forehead. And so it's a pretty cool looking tattoo. But we decided to give him a really bad nickname for the tattoo, and uh, you know that was that was actually part of his black belt promotion as getting his cool nickname. That's so yeah. He was part of our uh, old high school club. When we used to, I used, my dad used to be the superintendent of the high school here in Carbondale, so I had access to get into the wrestling room. So that's one of the places. <laughs> and man, and you just, you know, you've been doing it for so long. Um, and we talked a lot about what the beginning was like. What transition have you noticed, though, from over the last 29 years of, you know, being around jujitsu? Man, it's just, you know, you always hear the new school versus old school. I mean, I look at it kind of like this, Josh. It's like basketball. I mean, back in the day, I mean, the guys used to shoot underhanded. You know, mm -hmm. now they're stutter stepping, you know, juking you on the shot. It's just, it's going to advance, and I love that. You mm -hmm. know, that is awesome because, you either, you know, that's the whole Bruce Lee philosophy. You know, we want to keep adding, keep getting mm -hmm. better, you know, improve the game. And that's why, you know, a lot – because, I mean – I. Physically, I can't do a lot of the stuff that the younger generation can do, mm -hmm. you know, so that's why, you know, even at my school, you know, I bring down, you know, I'll bring Andrew Wiltsey in for the crew and uh, let him run the class just so they can kind of see, you know, hey, here, here's, you know, I, uh, here's what I'm doing, but this is now what the, you know, the young, you know, the more yeah. in, in the game, in the moment, that adult division, so to speak, can do. So I love sharing that with him because Josh, I physically can't do a lot of the mm -hmm. stuff that you guys can do, you know, it's yeah. just my body won't let me. And yeah. And you, you know, like, I think that that's kind of important though, a uh, important note to make for a coach. You don't have to be able to, as long as you are willing to branch out. The only time I think it becomes a negative is when you get the coaches that say, no, this is the only way close guard is the only guard. Right. And they say that and your kids want to compete. And they go out and people aren't playing close guard. They're playing spider or they're playing De La Hiva. And it, you know, like that, I think is the only time that it's negative. Because Kyle, you know, I've never seen Kyle Barambolo in his life. I actually saw him pull guard once at a tournament um, at Respect 4. And he he busted his lip by pulling guard so hard that he pulled the guy's face into his mouth. Um, but besides that, I've never seen Kyle do anything but just take people down and smash on top. But his students will play some of the more advanced guards because he tries his best to guide them to them. Yeah. And everybody's got to, you know, you got to look at it. Everyone has a different walk. Everybody, you know, you throw a basketball to someone, they're going to catch everything a little different. I mean, that's the thing. And, and what that's what I always tell my guys, like I'll sometimes show them, you know, a guard pass or a sweep or something that I particularly don't use. But I'm still mm -hmm. going to show it because somebody else, this, that might be their butter. That might be their go-to. So I'll do it. So I think what you're saying on the other aspect of it is some, you know, coaches only show a closed guard of this. I think what that is, Josh, is protecting what they got. You know, they're like, you know, it's like, you know, again, I'm not talking about anything, anyone particular. I'm just saying, but I think my analogy is of it. They want to protect what they're, they've learned and they think that that's the way and they don't want to lose that, you know, yes. and I think that's what happens, but I've never been that way because, and I think that's why it's a good thing that I started with Jeet Kune because that was the mentality. 
you know, absorb what is useful, reject what is useless, and add what is essentially your own. And that was the whole philosophy of Jeet Kune Do, and, and I take that into the jiu-jitsu as well. Yes. Man, that's so important. That's so relevant uh, for nowadays is, is I think the coach's job has slowly started to change um, in jiu-jitsu because obviously when people are brand new, they don't know anything. But people have so much more access to knowledge now. I will have students come in that are on six months and they will be you know, playing a new guard or they'll be doing different submissions that I've never showed because they're able to just access access it on Flow Grappling or YouTube or, you know, Keenan Online or whatever they're going to, and they're able to get this access. So that didn't happen um, when you started Jiu-Jitsu, and really that didn't even happen when I was starting Jiu-Jitsu. Um, the, the internet Jiu-Jitsu was not near as big in 2008 when I started, and so you pretty much learned from seminars books and your coach or you know if you ordered an instructional and now it's different you know there's just so many places to learn so your coach becomes more of a guide of like hey this is how you take what you're learning and get better on yeah and you know and i because i uh you know here's a prime example of how i do that with my guys i'm not i don't i'm not a leg lock guy you know uh -huh. i'll play them i'll you know toe hold straight ankle lock that's about the gist of it i don't get into the you know, like uh, we've got a lot of Sambo guys, you know, through here and stuff. And I'm just it's not my style of game because my mm -hmm. theory is, is I hate I've always been smaller and not as strong. So to me, if I feel like I fall back on a foot or something, if I miss it now, I'm on bottom. So, yes, that, that's my thought, you know, but I again, I tell the other guys like, hey, if you like it, I'll have them seek out someone like this is who you need to talk to. Go play with mm -hmm. him. You know, because it's just it's not my way, but I'm not going to deny somebody that it's just not how I particularly play. Yeah. And I think that that is that is a huge thing. I remember when I started jujitsu, people would say like, yeah, you know, leg locks, they don't really work. You know, you're not going to really get. And yeah, and you go in with that mentality until, you know, you get in a tournament or you are just in training and you get leg locked and you're like, wait, that doesn't work. You're breaking my foot off. That's not supposed, supposed to work, to though. That. And yeah. for the longest time, Josh, I didn't honestly, uh, you know, I'll come out and say it why I didn't teach them is because I saw so many of my old training partners back in our era, you know, the college times of not knowing when to stop of getting hurt, blowing mm -hmm. their knees out. I mean, heck, one of uh, uh, Chris Lund's brother, you know, Brad Lund, who used to train with us way back, got his knee popped with a heel hook, I think, because, mm -hmm. you know, we didn't, you know, a heel hook, you know, it's one of those, oh, I'm not feeling it, I'm not feeling it, oh, then it's like it's pop, you know, and yes. we didn't understand, because back in those, you know, we were hungry, we were fighting, I mean, we wanted to go, so people yeah. would get hurt, so I took them out a long time because of that, a fear, but then, you know, it's like everything, your your attitude and mentality changes over time. And I realized like, man, I'll, I'll, I'll show you some stuff and you guys can play it. But how we do it in my gym is I call it catch and release. Mm -hmm. So it's like, say we're rolling, you fall back and you land on a, on a, uh, like a heel hook, you'll hold it. And then we just break and go from there. It's yes. like, you got it. You know, we don't even go to a tap because we're not going to fight there. We're not going to be stupid, but it's like, you'll eye me and let me know like, Hey man, I can snap this. And then we're like, okay, cool. Then we start rolling again. So we'll do that just so we can put it in the play, but not get hurt. And that's important too, is to have um, people actually get put in these leg locks because it's really, and I've even seen bad injuries from straight ankle locks because people, not from the person doing the ankle lock, the person getting the ankle locks will roll and their knee is totally locked out. So they can't, you know, their whole body moves, but their knee, ankle and foot don't. And so that causes injuries that, you know, were really, really preventable if the person being attacked had any knowledge of the position. Absolutely. And it's, we even do the same thing. It's with, with takedowns. I suck at takedowns. <laughs> <laughs> but, but we still train them every class. We're either grip fighting, we're pummeling drills, whatever, just because you got to know it. You know, mm -hmm. you, you, if you're going to be well-rounded, you better know it all. And especially the guys that I, who are going to compete, I tell them, hey, you don't get a start on the ground with a tap bump. You know, you start that is standing very up. True. And, you know, so mm -hmm. it's like, you got to learn it. You know, Dude, that's that the is, same with the locks. That is uh, really important. Okay, so just to kind of um, give a, a different note of the, um, you know, to our conversation, you know, our, my coach, our mutual friend, Kyle Watson, um, you guys have known each other for, how long have you guys known each other? Jesus. We, 
Well, we got our blue belts and purple belts at the same time with each other with Megaton and Jack. And I think I met Kyle, I want to say 99 or 2000. Yeah, maybe around then. You know, I can't remember exactly, but it was, yeah, it was a yeah, long so you- yeah, you've known Kyle for uh, a very long time. So oh, yeah. um, I just asked Kyle, what would be something I should I should bring up with you? And he basically said, um, he, he said, maybe you shouldn't push too much fun um, or anything like that uh, to him because you just went through a loss. Um, your wiener dog, Muffin, passed away. And, um, and you know, that dog was like family to you is what uh, Kyle told me. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I, I love Kyle. <laughs> you know, I, I'm not even going to get into the story of it or anything. It was, yeah, just let me put it to you this way, Josh. Kyle and I have had many years of good times, and that was a good night. <laughs> That's okay. all I'm going to okay. say. Yeah, and so <laughs> he's, he told me, he wouldn't tell me anything about it. He just said, say this. And he told me that um, I wasn't, uh, he goes, I, most likely he won't elaborate on it. And, no. uh, no, 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 <laughs> it's, it's a good story, though. Okay, okay. And so, yeah, I'll have to get that from Kyle. Um, and he later started on. it. He started it. So it's, I'll leave it at that. He, <laughs> any, yeah. Any good story that I have with Kyle, he always started it. Kyle is, he's one of the best guys I've ever come across, man. And like I say, I, I always looked up to him because Kyle's always had the edge on me like i say we came up together you know blues and purple belts and uh you know trained throughout the years and i just i always looked up to him because he kind of you know i took the path of of more the instructing and and getting a program going where he went the competition route yeah you know and i just i always looked up to that because he just you know he put himself out there he he would always do very well and you know i just mad respect for kyle i'm just so glad you know it's funny how now we're back on the same team, you know, uh-huh. you know, it's cool. Yeah. It's really cool. Man, the tag team thing, I actually just released uh, my podcast with Jared. The tag yeah. team group that we have is a really fun group, man. They're just, you know, if you just look around at, at the, you know, at the, the team that we have just in the Midwest, they're awesome. You know, oh, yeah. I really, yeah, I really do. Uh, I really do enjoy our team. And that was actually, you know, Kyle had that option of, um, staying on his own, not doing anything. And, um, that was kind of, you know, my dad and I were with his, you know, at the time, his only black belts. And, you know, he, he had talked about, you know, yeah, maybe we might go under someone to kind of get that team thing when we might. And then he mentioned to us one day, Hey, Jared was, you know, was wanting us to come under tag team. And there wasn't even a thought. It was like, Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, let's do that. Like everyone else, we were like, ah, you know, I, I don't know. I kind of like being our own thing. And then with Jared, it was just that, like, oh, no, that's a perfect fit for us. That's a perfect fit for our team and our mentality. You know, and, and that's it's some I think, you know, there's people who are born leaders and some can develop it later on. But he's one of those, I think, just born with it. <laughs> you know, I first met Jared. We we're actually, uh, I think, t- uh, 2011, 12, when I did the Pan Am, it was my first black belt tournament, the Pan Ams. And I remember, you know, we're all snooping, I'm snooping through the brackets and I saw Jared Weiner was, and I was like, oh, shit. Cause you know, I followed Jared for, he's old school, yeah. you know, he was competing back in the day, you know, up uh-huh. in tournaments all through the 2000s. And I was like, oh my God. And I was like, don't give me him first round. And I did it luckily, but we actually talked in the bullpen because he's a police officer and so am I. Uh-huh. So we kind of you know, hit it off a little bit. And then we, met again in texas and did a seminar together with kyle and everybody and then you know where we are now it's just a perfect fit you know he he's what i and our team needed yes man for sure and so i wanted to kind of get your thoughts on this so your wife recently started training i don't know how recently but she has been um training i just know this from you know being at seminars and she's been training what kind of happened with that what got her into training she actually did a long time ago, but she got into a car accident and it messed up her back. So she was out for a long time and couldn't really get back to going into it. So she's able now. She's kind of feeling better. And she got, you know, kind of like all of us, we go in and out and want to work out and stuff. So she wanted to start hitting it up again. And sure, she did it. And, you know, she started and then she kind of set some goals for herself to, to compete. 
you know, I, I kind of pushed her a little bit because uh -huh. I mean, she's kind of bulldog. She's strong, you know, she's good. Uh -huh. And sure enough, she went out, she got a gold medal at an IBJJF tournament. She got a couple golds at some Fuji's and she did awesome. So it's, it's cool having her in the house. Cause you know, I can try and move. She doesn't like get all mad about it or something. Uh -huh. so it's awesome. How, how were you while she was competing? I'm sorry. How were you? How will, how were you while she was competing? You know, it's nerve wracking. You mm -hmm. know, it is because, you know, the main thing is because with competition, I know you're just you're already at a risk of getting hurt training. But when you compete, you're just stepping it up even more, you know, because the other person wants to win, too. You can't fault them, mm -hmm. you know. So, yeah, it's a, it's nerve wracking. You know, there's some times where I'll see like maybe a position. I'll kind of look down for a minute because it's like, ah, it's my wife, you know. <laughs> but, uh -huh. but, you know, she I mean, she's smart. She's not going to, you know, be stubborn and not tap to something. So, you know, it's it, it was nerve wracking, though. I'm not going to lie every mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. Yes, my wife's first tournament. I I can honestly say that was the most stressed I've ever been in my life. Yeah. Um, it was, yeah, it, that was, it was horrible. It was, uh, you know, just, I, and it, I think the biggest thing was I had not mentally prepared myself to coach her because the plan was for me to not coach her. My dad was going to, right? Yeah. And so I was like, I may not, not even watch her matches because I know I'd be stressed. Well, um, they called her really early and my dad wasn't there yet. And I was like, oh, no, this is this is the worst thing that could happen. And so I coached her through three matches. And I swear that the table that I was sitting next to had fingernail marks in it because I was like, you know, holding on to it so tight. I was so stressed. I know the feeling. Yes, it, it, it's tough, but it's cool. It's it, it, the, then the happiness of when she gets that hand raised, it's like, yeah, that's awesome. That's How cool. do you? How do you feel um, in the instructor role with somebody who is so important to you? You know, I during class time, it's she's just another head in there. You know, I don't even don't even think about it because I that's the other thing. You know, I don't I don't care if you know we've got a couple guys that's fought UFC in our gym and other people who just work forty hours a week and come and train. Nobody gets privilege. You know, we're all equal. We step on those mats. You all took the choice to walk in and train. Nobody's getting extra treatment. So she's just another head in the crowd, you know, so I don't even look at it like that. I'll, I'll jump her butt just as I do anyone else if they're doing something wrong or getting out of line. So, yeah, you know, I don't even, I don't even sweat or think about that. That's cool, man. So what does your training look like? How old are you? I just turned 43. All right. Okay. <laughs> 43 so at, years young. At 43 and having trained a lot in, uh, you know, in 43 years, it's not like at 18, you sat on the couch and then you got up at 43. Oh, you have probably put a lot of miles on your body. What does training jujitsu look like for you now? Man, what I've, what I wish, because you got to remember back in the day, I didn't have anyone to kind of tell me, hey, slow down. You know, when I was hurt, I popped some ibuprofen and go. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't have anyone because Jack was young, too. You know, he was only a few years older than me. So I never had anyone to kind of slow me down and say, hey, let the injury heal. So now, you know, the biggest thing I want my students to know is really take charge of your warm up. <laughs> Get a little sweat going before because we never did that. Our warm ups used to be we'd just start rolling around light and then go. Uh, but you know, I used to laugh at one of my, you know, training partners, who's now a black belt in Chicago and Nanad Dragolovich. he, before he would train, he, this was even back in college, mind you, he'd run around the, the mats to get a sweat going and then start training. And to this day, he's not hurt, you know, <laughs> so there was something to that. And that's, you know, how my training is now is I'm trying more because I've got pretty bad back issues, you know, as anyone who's been doing it this long, you're going to. So, and also the big is I pick and choose who I train with, you know, cause you know, I go, you know, I'm going to go with everyone, but I kind of pit, I know who I can really go and push the pace with and not get hurt. Uh, cause they know me so well, they've been training with me. So that's, that's the main thing is the warm ups and just watching who you train with at this time. I think that that is super important. Um, do you split your time between jujitsu and stand up still? Yes. Yes, I do. I still, you know, I kind of do half and half, you know, probably more jujitsu because I just, I don't like, I don't, and, and as far as the striking, I don't even really do sparring much anymore. Cause I just, I don't want to get hit in the head anymore. I mean, <laughs> I've had a lot of those years of, you know, getting my head bounced around and I just, 
I don't do that. And again, it's if I do, I pick and choose who I go with. But yeah, it's it's a split. You know, I do a lot of uh, pad training, hitting the mitts, hitting the tie pads. Uh, and then my groundwork is, you know, I'll drill, I'll find something I'm wanting to work. I'll pick some of my higher belts. that has been around a while, drill it. And then we roll and train, but yeah, I mix it's half and half. I split it up. Okay. And so for you, do you have any kind of goals that you have set for yourself as a, an instructor or as a competitor? You know, what is, is, is I, I, I've always had a love hate with competing. Uh-huh. Cause I I've been, you know, you, I always differentiate, you got the competitors and you got the gym guys. I'm more of a gym guy. Uh, but I like the competition because I like putting myself out there and testing it and the stress. Uh-huh. So I think that I think you get more out of just, you know, the bettering your jujitsu, it kind of tests yourself as a person, you know, to yeah. what you can handle, what you can take. So as far as goals, you know, I, I jumped on this. Yeah, I, my goal last year was to do three tournaments, and I did four. So I went over my goal, and, and the plan this year was to do some more tournaments as well. But it's it's not, you know, I was going to do St. Louis, which sucks. That's mm-hmm. I'm sure is canceled. But I think that Josh, I want to stay doing not competing all the time, but when I can and when I see fit and when my body feels it, because my hopes is. It motivates the students and lets them see like, well, hey, hell, he's 43. You know, he's been doing this this long. He's doing it. Why can't I, you know, for the mm-hmm. new person walking the door? So yeah, that's um, hopefully once once all this goes away, I want to jump on and get do some more tournaments. Man, sure. I think I think that that's a really important thing for a coach to do if they physically can. I think some yes. people literally just cannot compete. Um, they're so beat up and, uh, yeah, some people even struggle to be able to train some coaches, but, um, I think if you can compete, I think that I, you don't have to, but I think it kind of is a little bit hypocritical to push your students to do something if you are, you know, cause a lot of times it's, it's fear that keeps, you know, coaches yeah. and a lot of people from competing because you're like, man, I don't want to lose in front of my students. I don't want to, you know, I don't want them to think that like, I don't have all the answers, but the truth is we don't have all the answers, you no. know? And, <laughs> and, that, yeah. and that's exactly, you know, I want, I wanted my gym to be kind of all encompassing. I want the person who works 40 hours a week to come in and enjoy themselves. I want the people who are the UFC caliber styles to come in and be able to get something out of it. And, you know, all in between. You know, and that's kind of, and I'm the same way. If, if, how can I push somebody to compete if I'm not kind of getting out there myself, you know? And that, that is so true, man. I think as a, um, as a coach, I think it speaks more to my students to go to a tournament, get leg locked, and then be in Monday drilling how to defend and beat that leg lock, working through how to beat that leg lock, then not competing and trying to convince them like, yeah, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't lose. I wouldn't, you know, I'd be able to beat these guys. You know, I think that that is so much more important. I think that shows so much more of like a martial arts mentality and just a, you know, progress, like ability to progress. And, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, like the that, Bruce Lee saying, you find the cause of your own ignorance when you compete. You know, that's, that is so that's true, exactly man. what it is. That is, that is very true. Okay. So I gave Kyle the chance to say something to you right to 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 have that that the the statement about your about your wiener dog which i would love to hear more about but you know i gave kyle the ability to to ask you that do you have any embarrassing kyle watson stories to tell us anything that um you know anything that 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 we would like to hear the you know the one that's kind of i'm going to keep it somewhat pg is this is <laughs> several years ago you know our uh good buddy mark redding um we were down there in texas and this was during the time i don't know when tasha was doing these uh I don't know, like things where you you know you take a spoonful of cinnamon or whatever and then <laughs> what you know these students so kyle he's all in he's always he's into that stuff so we got him to do i think i can't remember how he drank like a bunch of seven up or Sprite and then had to eat like three bananas. Oh my God. It was one, I think it was something like that. And it was just hilarious. I mean, just seeing him the whole, cause you know, he, Kyle, when he's doing it, he's trying to keep like his, you know, his face and whatnot. And then after about, you know, five, six minutes of that sitting in his stomach is just, you know, he never puked. He never oh. did vomit. He never did. But man, he was, it was holding back. He was about to go, but it was just hilarious. Cause he did this 
at a, I think I want to say it was a birthday party or maybe a, a school anniversary for Mark Reddick. So tons of people there. And of course, you know, we're all rooting them on, dude, God, it was just <laughs> hilarious. It was funny. I yeah I I won't elaborate on how but we went to for a school um I think 10 year anniversary man it might have been 15 I think it was 10 year anniversary for uh Mark Vivas in Chicago and um heard a Kyle, lot about that Kyle was the life of the party he <laughs> he um yeah he he shut that party down for sure and um yes yeah Vivas told me a lot about that that was hilarious <laughs> yes and and apparently it got to the point that um, that Chris Howe texts Kyle. Chris Howe is not at the party and lives in Indiana, far <laughs> away from Chicago. And he was training on a Monday, the Monday morning after, and he sent Kyle a text like, "Hey, people in in I think he was training in Ohio. Actually, he's like, people in Ohio were talking about the legendary Kyle Watson, you know, partying on Saturday." And I heard you know, some of the two woke up in a. He didn't really know what room he was in or something in the hotel. Just... It, man, it was a mess. It was, yeah, it was a mess. He died for a little bit, but he was fine. He was fine. You know, yeah, he, it's Kyle. he bounces yeah. back from everything, man. Train the next morning, man. <laughs> you know? And, Great, yeah, dude, that... man. I remember, Josh, that's when you were at the, because I remember uh, when Kyle, because I went to his opening at the Hit Squad when he went there when he was teaching, I remember when you, you know, you and your dad had started training there for a while. And I always remember him pointing you out saying, yeah, you, you need to watch this kid. Cause you were young, Josh, you were young. I, and I remember him saying that, like, you need to, this kid's going to be good, man. It was it, awesome. It, it was funny. Like, I really think, I think I did have some natural ability, you know, just a natural, like, um, you know, grasp of jujitsu, but I think the big thing was I really didn't do a leading up to that. I never really played any sport and I didn't really have anything else to do. There was never any distraction from jujitsu where it was like, Oh, it's football season. Now I need to play football. It was like, I was, I got in and I was like, well, I have nothing, nothing else to do. This that's is really that's fun. unique, man. That is really neat. Cause most people, you know, who get to a level where you're at, they they're athletes. They've done some sport, you know, they were mm -hmm. hell or football player or whatever. And that's, that's awesome. Cause I mean, Josh, your game, bro. It's just so cool to see <laughs> how you've come to it's That's yeah. awesome. Thank you, man. Awesome. Thank you. Okay. So I always finish with the game, but before we get started into it, I wanted to ask a little earlier, cause I don't know how long it will go, but I wanted to just ask you about skateboarding. You skateboard, correct? Love it. Yes. What got you into skateboarding? I skated when I was a kid. That's all I used to do. You know, I used to skate a lot back in uh, my junior high days and even, you know, up and through some high school. And, you know, I did some in college, just kind of scooting around, just having some fun or whatnot. And then now my kid, you know, he's nine and he's starting to take it up. So it's it's fun. So now I have like a skate friend again. <laughs> you know, we, <laughs> we just went yesterday and cruised around uh, on SIU campus, just kind of having fun and showing him some of my old school tricks and stuff. So it's different. The balance isn't like it used to be. So I kind of, <laughs> watch what it's, it's nuts, man. But you know, now I, you know, I kind of try to keep all, all wheels on the ground now and not do too much crazy stuff. So yeah. Have, have, have you taken any spills since you've been, you know, skating as an adult? Yeah, uh, I got kind of, I was wanting to show Gavin something, I got him a ramp, and this was about two months ago, and I wanted to show, I wanted to go up and do, you know, kind of a lip tap, something I used to do as, as a kid, and I did that, and I misjudged, again, my balance, and where I was at on the ramp, and I took a face plant, but I'm all right, but that's when I was like, you know, <laughs> so that's when I was like, I better slow this down a little bit and just cruise. So. Oh, okay. Okay. I, I dig that, man. I dig that. Okay. So, um, if it's cool with you, I kind of like to finish off with a game and then one question to finish that cool. That. All right. So, so the game is called take it or leave it. Okay. So I'm just going to make a few statements. When I make a statement, you can either take it, which means you agree with it or leave it, which means you disagree. And then we'll kind of discuss, you know, why you chose, okay. um, chose that way. Okay. So, We'll start out with kind of the popular question of the podcast. Take it or leave it. Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Take it. Take it. You're all for it. Yes. You know, because there are people that have gotten on the show and they have said, no, it's not a Christmas movie. That's all about Christmas, man. 
that's a Christmas that, show. Yeah, that's what I think. That's what Christmas at my house is like. Yeah, that's I play it every year at Christmas. Time. <laughs> December comes on, we play it along with Christmas Story and Christmas Vacation. Heck yeah. <laughs> that's that's true. That's true. Okay, so take it or leave it. St. Louis style pizza is better than Chicago style pizza. I'll leave it. No way. Because the St. Louis style, that's the thinner style. Yeah, that's the thin. Get that out of here, Josh. You got to go Chicago style. You like the Chicago style? I mean, really, it's a casserole. It's not even really a, you know, it's not even. (laughs) I I just, I like sauce. I love how I mean, just in that sauce on top, there's something about that. The thicker style, I'm just, I'm more of a deep pan kind of guy. Okay, yeah, look. But I do do like, I do like St. Louis style. I'm not down in it. I'm just saying, if I had to choose Chicago yeah. style, I'm I'm just saying I actually haven't been able to eat Chicago style pizza since maybe three years ago. I competed at Chicago Open. We left and went to Giordano's and we got pizza. <laughs> well, one of the guys was going to start to go, and I was like, "Crap, I got to leave." And so before we got our pizza, I leave, and he ended up like he did really well in the tournament. So he kept having fight after fight. So they brought my pizza to the venue for me and I ate a, you know, and I know like a medium pizza for someone who doesn't know Chicago style pizza may think like, Oh, that's nothing. But for a Giordano's media or deep dish medium pizza, that's like, it says like it's supposed to feed like five people. And I ate the entire thing while coaching. And I honestly, I haven't eaten it since I felt so sick. And like, I'm trying to yell. I thought I was going to, dude, I thought I was going to throw up. It was just like, I just got done competing. I think I had done weight and open class. And so I'd done a lot of matches and I was like, I need some food. <laughs> oh, it was. A- yeah, they take like 50 minutes to cook. They do. <laughs> and, they, and that was exactly why yeah. I ended up having to leave. I was like, crap, I didn't manage my time very well there. Um, okay, so back to take it or leave it. Take it or leave it. Tack team will be on the world's podium one day. Take it. Take it. Wait, oh, do you think it'll be um, Adult Worlds or Master Worlds? I think Master Worlds. Man, we have, and we, I was talking about wow. this with Jared, we have a, a really good squad for Master Worlds, man. Yeah. There's some just, it's like, it's one of those, like, you look at the names, and you're like, damn, I'm glad they're on my team. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, I think Master Worlds for sure. Absolutely. That is, that is true. Okay, so one more, take it or leave it. Take it or leave it. Andrew Sabins is a better skater than Jared Weiner. I'll leave it. No way. Leave it? No. Have you ever skated? Jared was like, no. I've heard Jared. He was like semi-pro or something. That's I heard he was. Yeah, yeah I heard he was legit. I haven't, I haven't skated with him. I you know, hope one of these days we will. We'll go cruise it. But I heard he's pretty legit, man. Definitely. Yeah, I, I think a great, um, a great TV show would be you guys teaching me to skate. Um because I, I, it would really show how impressive my jujitsu is when you guys realize how bad uh, at, at getting things that I am. It would blow your minds with like, with Josh, you have to at least be able to stand up. There's four wheels on it. You should be able to stand up on a skateboard. You know, like, <laughs> it's it, it takes time. It definitely does. It definitely it, does. It does. It does. All right. So last question. This is always what we finish with. So it's a scenario. I am at an Andy Saban seminar. I am a blue belt, brand new blue belt. I raise my hand during question and answer, and I say, Andy, how do I suck less at jujitsu? Time. It's continuous consistency. That's it's that's all it is, man. It's just you you can't give up because everybody. I mean, in the heat of how things are now, uh, people want things now. I want it now. I want to be good now. I want to be the best. And it's it's. You just got to put in the, the consistency of training and get in there even when you're, you know, a little hurt. I mean, you're going to get, you know, bruises and whatnot training period, but you just have to keep at it. You can't quit and just keep going and keep that consistency going. And it's going to come. I mean, it's yeah. going to There's nothing fast about jujitsu. You're going to have your anomalies, guys that are, you know, get good right away. But for the most of us, it takes some time and the consistency and that's it. That's your secrets. Man, I think that's such an important an important secret to remind yourself all the time. You know, yeah. when you're you know, I, I, I see it all the time when the thirty-two year old guy is super discouraged because he's been training two years and the kid that's been training six months can beat him. 
And it's you can just see it on their face. It's like, man, this shouldn't happen. You know, I'm maybe I'm not cut out for this. But it's it's like Chris Howder says, it's it's not who's the best. It's who's left left. That's that's one of the quotes I have written on one of my notebooks, man. (laughs) (laughs) That's yeah, it's man. It's so important. It's so true because I can think. I can honestly, easily off the top of my head, I can name 10 people that started when I was a white belt that had way more potential than I did and they quit. And, you know, you get to that and you're like, man, what, you know, why weren't they just consistent? Why, if if they were, they would be, they would be so far in jujitsu, you know? And that's, I always joke with people at my school, I always say, we need to replace my door with a revolving door. (laughs) <laughs> in the front of my school, because that's how it is. I mean, more people leave than are coming in. You know, that happens a lot. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's unfortunate. It well, and especially where you're at, you know, like I don't think we actually said, um, but you know, SI SIUC is a you know, it's a college, it's a university, and there is um, you know, a lot of your students probably come from the university yeah. and just like at Kyle's where he gets a lot of people from SLU and Wash U, um, and probably a lot of gyms do this because it attracts young college age kids. Then you lose them after two to four years, you know? Yeah. Oh, that's that. It happens all the time. You know, that's why I always give Kyle crap because I gave Colin Parr and Dan Essenpreece, you know, it's like, here you go with it. You uh, know, they're here. And it's like, I, you know, they go over to Kyle. I get, I usually get people with the college kids to a blue, maybe a purple belt level. And then, hey, Andy, I'm moving back home. It's like, <laughs> yep. but you know, that's how it goes. But it, it's fun. I know I enjoy the time that I get with these people. And, and it's cool seeing where they go when they leave. That's, that's what I think makes me enjoy it the most is seeing what they become. Uh-huh, you know, cool. man. And then I had a little piece of that. Yeah. And that's so, you know, it's so important. Like, like I said, the, the reference of Justin, my, you know, my first black belt is he, came to you and he started training with you and that is where he got this start. And it's so cool. Obviously it always sucks when people leave in your life, man, you know, this, this, you know, I really like this guy, you know, maybe not, maybe you don't always say that. Maybe sometimes you're like, (laughs) I hate that guy. Thank God he's gone. You know, now he's Andy's problem. But uh, uh, usually it's, it's a really, you know, it's really frustrating. It really sucks when you lose certain students and, um, to see one of your friends or even when it sometimes it's like somebody who you used to compete against, you know, that they go to or something like that. And it's just really fun to get to see that in like how um, how that relation of jujitsu kind of, you know, how it grows. And like my blue belts, my white belts will deal with that one day that like, man, I competed against this guy when I was a blue belt. And now my student just, you know, moved away and they're training at their gym. You know, I, th- I think it's just a really interesting, um, it- it's an interesting thing. Like, you know, like we think of white and blue belts, like they're little children, you know, <laughs> and, you know, as they, as they get up to brown and black belt, then it's like, man, they know so many more people and they're so much more mature in this. It's, it's really interesting. It is. It's really cool to see and to see the growth. Cause like I say, I've had so many people that, you know, even back when we were, you know, training from the SIU days all through the years, we've let become black belts. And it's, it's, it's just awesome. You know, it's like, wow, they stuck with it and they did it. And it's, and they're really good. You know, I mean, it's like, wow, you know, some of them are pan, like Nanad, he's been a Pan Am champion before, you know, and he started with me here at SIU, you know, and it's, it's cool. It's that totally is cool. That is cool, man. All right. So before we finish, is there anything that you want to say to finish anything like that? I just, you know, appreciate you having me on, Josh. It's really cool because, like I say, a lot of guys, I don't think, you know, from my students and just they don't know the story of where what I came from, you know, and how we got to where we are today. So I just I appreciate you taking the time to let me come on and do the show for sure, man. Man, I really enjoy uh, enjoy talking to you about jujitsu, man, or just talking to you in general. Um, so I was happy to have you on. Thanks a lot, bro. All right, man. You have a great rest of your day. You got it, man. You too. Thanks, Josh. And that is the episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I always love to get episodes with so many different people. Uh, this week, we released one with uh, Nogi World Champion Jenna Bishop. We released one with Huron Gracie. And we released one with Andy Sabins. And these are three completely different people from three completely different walks of life that all love jujitsu And... I love that. I love that that is the thing 
that brings us together. These are probably three people that have three different political, religious views, um, views on whether or not Epstein killed himself. But the beauty is jujitsu brings us together. And I just, I think that that is, um, that's one of my favorite things about it. And getting to talk to somebody like Andy that has been so consistent in jujitsu for so long, it's just uh, it's just really refreshing. So I really hope it was refreshing for you guys. I hope you guys enjoyed it. If you guys enjoyed this episode, please give it a share. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, please like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. And I really, I really hope that you guys suck just a little bit less at jujitsu.